0: take your Bibles and turn them to Psalm 138 while you're doing that just a reminder I teed it up a little earlier by the way great job on the responsive reading Um, there'll be a few moments to give you an opportunity to respond to the message this morning this is kind of a hybrid of our Vespers service we used to have in the evenings as a church family and uh, since that has not happened for the last three years I believe this is, qualifies as a mashup on a Sunday morning, if you want to call it that. So we'll have a few moments for you to respond to sections of the text this morning within the sermon. And I hope that'll be a blessing to you that you will take advantage of that. Let me start um, as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday by just giving a bit of a refresher if it's helpful to you. Now, my sermon this morning is not about an American Thanksgiving, but it may serve some in the room as a matter of discovery and all of us a matter of remembrance. It was helpful for me to be reminded of the role that God's people and God's Word, the Bible, played in the earliest days of the founding of what we now know as the United States of America. Though ours is not an untarnished history, uh, there is much to celebrate and to learn from the earliest Thanksgivings. Now, this is an excerpt from uh, a, an essay written by a friend of mine, a published in 2000. I pulled some things from this that I enjoyed. I'll give him attribution in just a moment. Uh, it was not the French or the Spanish that colonized America, though they were the greatest colonizers of the time. No, God had other plans. America would be preserved for those whose hearts had been set free by his word. It was in tiny England in 1381 that John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, translated the Bible into a language that the common man could read. This spiritual darkness and superstition that had so long clouded the earth was now giving way to the glorious light of the gospel. It was Wycliffe's work and followers that taught the common man how to read the Bible that they might discover for themselves Jesus Christ, the Savior of all men, in the pages of Scripture. 150 years later, that flame would be fanned into a raging inferno as Martin Luther would nail those 95 theses in Wittenberg, declaring only by faith, only by Scripture, only by grace can a man be saved from eternal damnation. The Bible was becoming an opened book. Liberty was in the air. With the advent of Gutenberg's printing press, the Bible was rapidly becoming read and known by the common man, and persecution was ramping up to match it from the church and from the state. That made reading the Bible a very dangerous thing to do. By the year 1600, the Bible had been read by several generations of those who were called separatists. We would later identify them as pilgrims. Their hearts had been set free by Christ, and they wanted to pass his heritage, their heritage, on to their children. King James of England drove the pilgrims, the separatists, from England. They left and went to Holland, where they stayed for 11 years, hoping to instill in their children the glorious truths from God's word but while they were there they saw the culture of Holland infecting their children more than they were prepared for and so they in danger of losing their children to the culture purposed in their hearts to advance the gospel of Christ and to save their kids they traversed the mighty Atlantic Ocean to come to a new land there they could raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord unencumbered by the Church of England or its perverted king They arrived on the shores of the continent in the month of November in 1620. Half of them that arrived died in the first winter. But the providential hand of God provided for them a native who spoke fluent English. Tesquantum was his name. We know him in the folklore as Squanto. Tesquantum had been kidnapped by the Spanish... Ten years before and was brought first to Spain as a slave and then earned his freedom while he was in England. In England, he learned the English language and learned about the God of the Bible. Eleven years later, he made his way back to America. It was Tisquantum who, after that first horrible winter in 1620, befriended the pilgrims and taught them how to fish and hunt and garden. Without him, it's unlikely that any of the pilgrims would have survived. Squanto was a gift from the Almighty God to help the pilgrims. They knew it and they gave thanks. Listen to the prayer of William Bradford, governor of Plymouth Plantation, who wrote this Thank you, Lord, for sending Squanto to us. We know your hand has been upon him throughout all of his trials and that you have prepared him to be our guide and friend in a time of great need. Listen to this phrase. He is your living answer to our tears and prayers. Wow. The first Thanksgiving celebrated God's manifold workings on behalf of mankind. Thanksgiving, more than any other American holiday, points us directly to God and to his providential hand. Thanksgiving points us to the fact that there is another leader, another king, whose name is Jesus, who worked on our behalf, that we might have life. Much to be thankful for, penned in 2000 by Rev. Flip Benham. The Bible tells us in Revelation 4 that the Lord is worthy. Why? Because He is Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power, for He created all things, and by His will they existed and were created. And all my Wednesday night, fellas and ladies knew that verse before I got finished with it. I'm not here to preach an American Thanksgiving this morning, but I am here to show you a terrific illustration. What we know as the celebration of Thanksgiving was a response to God for answered prayer. Psalm 138 is a response from David to God for God answering David's prayer early on. Now, I know this comes late in the Psalms, but this was actually some of David's earliest Psalm writing. And he's thanking God for being with him. He's going to point us to God's incredible love. He's gonna remind us of that amazing love, that chesed love. Pastor D, I wish you would've gotten that license tag. I remember that story you told when he came to town, he wanted to get a license tag has said h-e-s-s-e-d is the kind of the transliterated spelling of that beautiful word and he said but I knew if I did that I think you might have said it was your wife that pointed out everybody's just going to think you misspelled he said and not know what you were doing (laughs) something like that but it's this incredible love that God has this never stopping never giving up unbreaking always and forever love David is wrapped up, tied up, and tangled all up in the love of God as he writes this psalm, and that's where I want you to be this morning, every day of your life, but especially as we gather as the church to set our hearts in a thankful posture for answered prayer from God. For David, the past was a promise that gave him hope and confidence in the Lord. I hope it is for you this morning. We, as God's people, have a new song to sing. Now, I'm really going to date myself here, which I do quite often. I'm fully aware of that. Thank you. Um, but the song of culture seems to be gloom, despair, and agony on me. And three of you know where I got that from. Gloom, despair, and agony on me everywhere you turn. I mean, the news, you think, could it get worse? It can. Wait for the next news segment, right? It's just everything. Uh, the sitcoms are so snarky, the parents are always the buffoon idiots, and it's just, a te- it's just this entertainment culture, We're drinking it all in, and it's all just so, uh, uh, that's not our song. That's not our hymn book, y'all. Culture didn't pin that for us. We've got a new song to sing, a song of thanksgiving. Let me give you three headers for the psalm this morning. I believe it's in three movements for our application this morning. Our song of thanksgiving, we'll see in the first few verses, glorifies God's name. Our song of thanksgiving glorifies God's name. Look with me at the text, verses 1 through 3. David says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Verse 2. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I have exalted you have exalted above all things your name and your word verse 3 on the day I called you answered me my strength of soul you increased Let me give you a couple things to note just about this first section. I won't do this with each section of the movement, but it's worth noting here. We're going to glorify God's name with our song. The first thing we know from there, this is very personal to David. Verse one, do you see it? He says, I'm going to give you thanks, Lord, with my whole heart. There are some Psalms that says we, us, our, and I'm all about, right, downplaying individualism in the church and playing up our corporate identity, our group identity. But here this morning, I'm asking you, do you, you have a personal song of thanksgiving to the Lord? David did. He had seen God answer prayer. He says, I give thanks to you in verse one. It's passionate. Number two, look at this. It's a passionate song. In in, in verse two, he he says, I'm, I'm doing it with my whole heart. Verse one, I'm bowing down in your temple. I called and, and you answered. I'm, I'm, I'm expressing myself with everything that's in me. I'm, it's affecting my posture even. Listen, I, I just have to say this morning, I, I've never seen so many people ha- have it right in their heads but dispassionately live out the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior. I mean, if you can get lit up about all the other things, get lit up about Jesus, I promise he'll satisfy you. David didn't write this song and and didn't have this moment before God. I can't envision this psalmist here writing and, and expressing his gratitude for God for answered prayer that saved his life, going, I'm so thankful this morning. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. This was not cerebral to him. It affected his posture. I want you to notice too the way that he sings his song, the Lord is the main attraction. Now, the preacher and me, I, I went with another P there. The Lord is preeminent there, I couldn't resist. The Lord is the main attraction. He sang, I sing your song, I sing your name. I'm going to lift your name, God, above all the other gods. The gods mentioned here, there's quite a bit of ink given to paper about who this is, and there's a throwback to another psalm. Don't get distracted by minor points. Here's the deal. The gods here are false gods. All other gods are false gods. Hinduism purports 300 million false gods, every one of them a demon. We say, we're lifting high the name of the one true God. That's what David said. His victories were over these nations' armies that had set themselves up against God. David wanted Jehovah to have the praise and the glory above everything. All the people knew this. As the people of God, we should be the first and the loudest to sing God's praise. Well, for everything. Everything. Like, praise the Lord ought to be a natural part of your conversation. Thank you, Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 95, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods." For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. This world system, our consumer-driven culture, and the entertainment-addicted religions of the day will offer us adrenaline fixes, but nothing worthy of us bowing our knee to. Above all the noise, above all the clamor, we have a song to sing that glorifies the name. Of our Lord. The last thing in this first section, I'll have you note, know, it's pointed. It's in response to a prayer here. David, let me give you a little historical context very quickly this morning. It was God's plan that David reign over Israel, but the Jebusites and the Philistines and the Moabites wanted a divided and weak leader. David went to God. He knew God's will. He prayed for God's help. He trusted God for victory and he defeated the enemies. And you know what he did as a result? He said, thank you, Lord. He had a song to sing. I wonder this morning if you have a notebook that you keep or an app or a running tally in your mind where you store your prayer requests things you've been praying about, people you've been praying for, things you've asked God for. I'm thinking of our Thursday morning prayer groups that we have. It's for Grace Covenant Church. It's not a closed group. It's an open group. We meet every Thursday morning at 11. You can join us by Zoom. You don't have to drive into South End to get there. But our prayer list we've had, we've maintained for uh, some time now, and new requests are on there, and old requests are gone. And if I went back, and I did this recently, and pulled up some from way back, guess what? It becomes a praise list, because many requests have been answered. What battle has the Lord fought for you in recent days, weeks, or months where you have a song of thanksgiving. Maybe you haven't sung it yet. Maybe you haven't told him thank you yet specifically. Where have you seen the Lord's hand in your prayer life? How are you closer to God because of your praying? Here's our call to action this morning. I'm going to give you a moment to respond to this. Not the end of the sermon. Just to end the first move. The other two aren't this long, I promise. Here's our call to action this morning. I want you to take a moment. Don't ask God for anything, but I want you to thank him specifically for the days that you called And he answered you. What name, what title will you ponder this morning as you thank the Lord? Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord our provider, will you glorify his name? Jehovah-Nissi, the Lord our banner, his banner over us is love, will you glorify his name? Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord our shepherd, has he led you tenderly? Will you glorify his name? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace, while the winds and waves are raging, you've got a peace that passes understanding. Will you thank him for that this morning? Jehovah Shammah, when you were abandoned by others, God was present with you. Jehovah Sinkinu, the Lord, our righteousness. I don't know what name you'll glorify this morning, but I'm asking you to take a moment specifically and thank him for answer prayer. He's worthy. He's worthy. Verses 4 and 5 of our psalm this morning read, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. When I read that passage, I see very clearly, and I think you do too, our song is a witness to the lost. I mean, when when we glorify God, when we sing the songs of Zion, when we lift high the name of our Lord, the lost are drawn. Jesus said he would be lifted up, and as he's lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he would draw all men to himself. We don't have to lift up lost people. We don't have to lift up lost culture. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we need to lift up Jesus as a congregation, as a body, as individuals. This glorious song of thanksgiving from the hand of David was not some um, little note that he scribbled to some director of affairs or the regional manager of good things in the region or even an assistant to the regional manager. No, this was an offering of thanks to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It was personal, passionate, pointed song of thanksgiving to the one who is Lord of all. When you go to thank the Lord, I want to remind you when you say those phrases, praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus, and Praise God. You are thanking. You're lifting a high praise to the God who is above all. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his name forever and ever, Psalm 72. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That psalm tells us clearly that God reigns all the time, and watch this, everywhere. There's not one inch of creation that doesn't cry out to God and and God on his throne say, that's mine. That belongs to me. When we sing this song to the Lord, the nations are drawn to him. Here's where I got ahead of myself earlier. We don't have to change our lyric as the church to try to draw lost people to Jesus. We don't need to sound like, look like, smell like the world in the church when we gather to worship to think that's going to draw people to Jesus. They get the show all week. They need something different and distinct. They need the church when the church gets together to do churchy things at the church because, newsflash, we're the church. <laughs> but I'll tell you what they won't respond to is some cerebral-only song of thanksgiving. The data shows that they're not interested in something that tries to compete with their entertainment culture anymore. No, millennials, Gen Zers, they're drawn to authenticity. They want to meet some people who believe that this book is worth dying for. They want to meet some people who say, Christ alone is worthy. They want to meet some people who say, I've been with They want to meet some people with a legitimate song of thanksgiving. They don't need another show. They don't need us focusing on them. Now, we're going to be kind and engaging and, and uh, accommodating. And I tell you, that when we get feedback from our guests, lost and Christian alike, when we get feedback from our guests that come onto this property, without a doubt, hands down, they say they're greeted warmly and they sense a loving family here and they felt welcome. Without a doubt, hands down, every time, it shows up in every single piece of feedback. And praise God, that's the way the church ought to act. But I'm not here, and Grace Covenant doesn't exist, to try to put on a show for lost people to hope to maybe stoke some interest in Jesus. No, we're here to lift high Jesus and trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work that he promised he would do they'll be drawn to the lord as we focus on god and have a song of thanksgiving. When you look at verse 4 and see kings drawn some see it as prophecy, but everybody see it as a missionary verse. The wording here when it talks about the kings of the earth shall give thanks to the lord is anticipating and echoes Isaiah 52, the great suffering servant song. Listen to what it says. When the kings of the earth hear the great salvation of God on their behalf through his servant, verse 5 of Isaiah uh, 53, rather, it says, they will joyfully acknowledge that the Lord's glory is great. They'll sing a new song. (laughs) Salvation and adoration are woven together beautifully. In his wonderful book, Name of of All Names, Alistair Begg, records this little tidbit on Eric Liddell. Eric was, in 1925, leaving Scotland to go to China as a missionary teacher. He was both a Scottish rugby internationalist and an Olympic gold medalist in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Now, for this reflection, please, will you play Chariots of Fire or no? (laughs) Just, Just checking, I didn't know. When he boarded the train at Waverley Station in Edinburgh, on the first leg of his journey to China, a vast crowd had gathered to bid him farewell. Family, yes, but also friends and just folks because this was a sports superstar in their day. They were wanting to see and There were people lining the streets. Eric lowered the window of his compartment, puts his head out the window and shouts, Christ for the world, for the world needs Christ and then heads still out the window, sticks an arm out, and leads them in a hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. The lyrics of the song capture the vision of Christ's reign that the people of God have shared for time immoral. Jesus shall reign where the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. To Him shall endless prayers be made, and praises throng to crown His head. His name, like sweet perfume, shall rise with every morning sacrifice. People in realms of every tongue dwell on His love with sweetest song, and infant voices shall proclaim their early blessings on His name. Blessings abound where'er He reigns. The prisoner leaps to loose His chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all the sons of want are blessed. Last verse, let every creature rise and bring peculiar honors to our king. Angels descend with songs again, and earth repeats the loud amen. Christ for the world, for the world needs Christ. When we sing our song of thanksgiving well, people are drawn to the Lord. I've had the privilege of traveling all around this nation and other parts on the globe and training and teaching, equipping God's people to share Jesus naturally with others in the area of evangelism and discipleship. Everywhere we go, we ask the question, and the overwhelming response will shock you. We ask the question, uh, of all the ways that you can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally and powerfully as Lord and Savior, how many of you came this way and how many of you came that way? we do this informal survey of the room, Unquestionably, There's a number one, and then there's not even a close second. You know how the number one reason people come? Here's how they come. They come because somebody they knew and loved shared the gospel with them personally or took them somewhere personally to hear the gospel, like church. Remarkable, isn't it? Our song of thanksgiving can be a witness to the lost. I wonder this morning as we sing our song of thanksgiving, are we doing it in a way that draws the nations to Him, our neighbors to Him? What's your call to action for Thanksgiving this morning? Well, you may not remember life. It may have been so long ago, but you once were lost, but now am found. Huh. I wonder if we might take a moment this morning and just thank the Lord for the person, maybe even the church. That God used to bring you to a saving knowledge of His precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think on that. Thank God for that. Let's pray. Maybe you're like me, and it's not one person. It's a whole host of people that the Lord used. Some sowed, some watered, some reaped the harvest. Final observation this morning as we look at the last three verses. It's the shortest of the points. For though the Lord is nigh, or high rather, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Remember that. He's regarded us. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. A few observations from this. Well, here's your last point. Ready? Our song points to God's purpose for our lives. Our song of thanksgiving points. Points to God's ultimate purpose. And not to go all catechism on you there, but the chief end of man, remember, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God is the High Exalted One. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are His ways higher than our ways, and His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Psalm 103 He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities, thank God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, that hesed love, for those who fear him. And yet this high and holy, awesome God regarded you and me. He thought of me. He thought of you. A couple observations from the text. I don't know if you want to jot these on the notes in the margin there, but in verse six, I mean, we're on his mind. (laughs) He regards the lowly. And I know you've got a highfalutin job, but you're the lowly, he's talking about you there. (laughs) He regards us, we're on his mind. The first part of verse 7a, we're alive because of his grace. He's preserving our life. The last part of that verse, we're delivered because of his might. He's fighting our battles for us. It's so rich. It's not hard to be thankful when you look at the text and think about the fact that our Lord is faithful and that the gospel is founded upon the faithfulness of God to keep his promise. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because he is with us. This is the God that said uh, to his people, he's redeemed them. He's called them by name. They're his when they were going to pass through the waters. He said, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. The flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's Old Testament language there. As I'm closing this morning, let me remind you, we would have no hope and no purpose if it were not for God's faithfulness to bring about the salvation of his chosen people who are in Christ. But God is faithful. <laughs> he keeps his word. His steadfast love never fails. The work of Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof of this. The work of the Holy Spirit it's the proof of this. And this Bible testifies to the goodness of God. Grab that Bible. It's not on the screen. As I close with this, turn to Philippians 1 very quickly with me in your Bibles. Philippians 1, New Testament. Philippians chapter number 1. Verse 6. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Echoes takes me back to the psalmist that said, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Second Timothy 2, if we're faithless, he's still faithful. He cannot deny himself. His banner over us is love That has said, love is a foundation under us. It covers all around us. God's purpose, what is this purpose that shows up in our thanksgiving? It's this it's that we would walk with Him, be filled with His Spirit, that we would live, love, and speak for His glory in a way that shows that He is worthy. Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 10 give us a great picture of where we were and where we are. We were dead, the Bible says, in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive together with Christ. And God has raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace we have been saved through faith and this is not of our own doing, it's the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's the verse, I love it, verse 10. For we are his workmanship masterpiece. Our song of thanksgiving shows others the work that he's doing in us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which he, adore, which he preordained beforehand that we should walk in them and our final response this morning to the sermon and to this last section if you have been saved by the power of god you were saved to bring glory and honor to god do you want to glorify god today here's one major way to do it are you ready for this earth shattering yes i want it sign me up ready let him love you <laughs> let him love you receive his grace Drink it down deep without adding one drop of your own goodness to it. Your very purpose in life is to the praise of His glory. If I were sitting in the pew this morning having this moment of thanksgiving, I would just take a moment and thank God for His grace and that He included me in His plan. And that grace that would allow me to be a part of his glory here on earth. Let's pray and then I'll close us in prayer. Together while the singers are coming Lord we praise you for your excellent greatness for your abundant goodness this morning it's our delight to drink from the living waters of your grace we praise you that your grace is undeserved and it's powerful and forgiving and it's transforming and it's majestic and it's merciful we're so thankful this morning that your grace appeared in the coming of your son it's brought salvation for all men and women and boys and girls who look to you, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. We're here this morning because of your saving grace. Some may be encountering it for the first time. Others can't even count the times. But we praise you that your grace is sweet and it's strong. Your steadfast love is better than life. We give you thanks, O Lord, with our whole heart. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let the church say amen. Let's stand together and sing a song of thanksgiving.